Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, freelance writer available now at tomchrisman.net and also co-dean and professor at AdHouse Advertising School. Today, I talked to Mike Rovner, freelance creative director and AdHouse professor. He's teaching a class with his partner, Soren Rundgren, called Your Ad Sucks, and that's okay. And he is also a freelance uh, creative director, as I said, with Soren. Uh, their last gig was at Vayner, Vayner Media, and they worked on the Pepsi pitch there. So uh, he's got an interesting career. He started as, a, as an account person back in the, uh, back in the day, back in the 1900s <laughs> when I started. Uh, and he got into advertising, got into the creative side of advertising through Margie Otis Fertitta and Weiss, where they gave him a chance. So you'll hear all about that. Um, I also love that this is a story about somebody who's not a household name, but is, uh, has been doing great advertising. You'll hear about it uh, for, you know, 20 years and uh, loving his job. And it's just, a, it's just a way to know that, like, you don't have to become Eric Silver or, uh, or you know, Greg Hahn to, to make it in this business. You can, you can make a nice living uh, doing really good work and, uh, and then become an ad house professor. So, uh, yeah, I really like my conversation with, uh, with Mike, and here it is. Uh, how are you, Mike? I'm good. How are you doing, man? Oh, fudge. Yeah. I'm going crazy. Are you? <laughs> I've been doing lots of runs. Oh yeah, yeah. Getting oh, yeah. And being active is like super important. If I don't do that, uh, I get really agitated. So we're this is the A list, the long-awaited Mike Rovner A list. Amazing, it's amazing. You know, my my wife did it a long time ago. She's one of the early ones. That's right. So uh, you are uh, you are currently uh, freelancing. I am. Yeah, uh, I am. Soren? My partner, Soren Youngren, the lovely Soren Youngren. Yeah, we, uh, we are currently freelancing. You know, um, it's, it's one of those times in this world where lots of people find themselves freelancing right now, whether they want to or not. Um, you know, it was never my intention to go freelance. I'm one of those who freelances in between the gigs until you get the gig, right? Yeah. Um, but you, where, did you, where did it all start for Mike Rovner? Oh, for me in this business? I actually, I'm a late bloomer. I, I did lo- lots of other things first. You know, when I first got out of college, um, I didn't know what I want to do. I left University of Iowa with this uh, English degree. And, uh, you know, people tell you back then, you want to teach? You know, I was like, no. Ironically, now, of course, I do. But then, you know, then you're like, no, I don't want to become a teacher. Certainly not an English teacher. Um, as much as I love it, uh, that sounds sucky. So the other idea was, you know, you could become a copywriter. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of uh, something I I had in the back of my head, but I didn't know how to do that. There were no, the only ad schools back then were, believe it or not, were like UT Austin, (laughs) you know, FIT, you know, places like that. Yeah. Uh, SVA. But there, you know, there there was no Miami ad school. There was none of that, uh, no ad house, you know, yet. Yeah. Um, So uh, it wasn't normalized, I guess, for people like me who just had in the back of their head for what to do. How did you know about it? Copywriting or the job? You ever see the movie Nothing in Common with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason? I think so. A long time ago. Well, that's how old we are. Um, 
That movie, I think it came out when I was in high school. Uh, I remember watching Tom Hanks play a creative director. He was like a newly anointed creative director at this ad agency. And he was young and he was living like the life as a bachelor in Chicago, which is like, you know, cool ad town. Yeah. And uh, it seemed like he was very successful and having a ball. And I was like, huh, huh. It still counts as business, right? Like you get to go to college and then go get a job, but yeah. then be like that guy. And that sounded very, very appealing to me. Just making shit up for a living and having a ball doing it. Um, it seemed like a fantasy. Of course, it turns out to be somewhat true, right? Yeah. <laughs> like 50-50. No, I, mean, I, think, I think it is one of the more fun jobs in the world. And I think that's why I like to say it's like this hidden, you know, this hidden gem of a, of a career that, you know, it is, it is pretty fun for the money that you make. It absolutely is. And it's also why, you know, people don't really cry for you when you find yourself in situations where you're not working or if you get bounced out of an agency or, you know, you, you, you just have one of those bad years. Um, nobody really cries for you because you'll always come back. And yeah. when you come back, you find yourself back in that, you know, same hotel room somewhere in L.A., you know, your familiar place <laughs> with all your friends. and You're on a set and you're like, damn, I did it again. How'd this happen? Here I am again. <laughs> Nobody should feel sorry for me when I'm freelancing in a matter. Nobody should. So you, so you were like, I don't want to be a, a teacher, and so I'm going to go into this copywriting thing. And what was the first thing? What, what did you try to do? How did you try to do right. that? Right. So then I was like this really naive guy, and I remember I was forced into getting a job very, very quickly. Not that most people aren't, right? But when I came came out of college, my uh, my parents had sold our house, and we're living, prim you know. Uh, for the meantime, on a boat, <laughs> 40 foot boat. So uh, that's what I came home to. And I was like, I gotta get off this fast. You know what I mean? Um, so that motivated me to just get anything, <laughs> like any job, any job. And the first thing I got was, I'm gonna date myself here, was uh, working for the November company, which was an ad agency created by and for, wait for it, the Bush Quail 92 reelection campaign. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I wasn't political at all. I didn't even know, you know, where my politics lied, but, you know, I, I took the job. Yeah. Um, where was this? Where did you live at that point? Where was the boat? And, and The boat was on Long Island, so I grew up on, uh, in Manhattan and then primarily on Long Island. I went to high school in Manhattan. Manhattan. Okay. Um, so that's, my parents were there. They were in Port Washington is where the boat ended up, right? There's yeah. no, um, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> That's where I was. And I got this job at the November company as an intern um, paid. It was like, I don't know, 20 something grand a year to be an intern um, in both the account management department and the creative department. Oh. Um, like there were departments. <laughs> I mean, it was a, you know, basically it was this ad hoc agency created for a political campaign. There were real ad agency, turns out now legends that were running the thing. Martin Puris was like the main. Um, of Amrati and Puris was like the main yeah. creative director and he had his stable of creatives um, and all the account people were like top account people and strategists and whatnot from, you know, from different agencies that didn't work their full time. The full time staff were people like me, right? Just people keeping the lights on in there. Yeah. But, you know, I got to learn a lot about at least the beginnings of advertising. I saw storyboards, for instance, you know what I mean? I right. went into an avid edit for the first time and I was like, wait, let me get this straight. You can move pictures around in any order, <laughs> you know, as opposed to linear editing, you know, which I'd seen in college. So right. I learned all right. that stuff very, very early, but I still wasn't in advertising, really. You know, it was a, right. it was a political campaign that no matter what, 
whether they won or lost, and as you know, they didn't win, um, it was over in, yeah. in November, December. Yeah. Ended. But it left me with some contacts in the world. I mean, not many. Um, but I tough, still didn't know how to get into like advertising. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, that was a, that was a very tough, that's when I got into business too, and that was a uh, very tough time. Yeah, that uh, was one of those early recessions that we yeah. still remember. Yeah, yeah, it was a really tough time to try to work at all. Even, and you know, I didn't know how to do it in the first place, you know, it wasn't exactly the, the most traditional way into quote unquote advertising, right? Yeah. Um, Cause it was one client and it was so focused. I mean, I don't even know how you teach political advertising to kids now, right? Or would you, you know, right. <laughs> steer them away from it. Right. Um, so it wasn't learning that part of the business. It was just learning the basics, like, you know, agency structure for whatever that was at that time. Oh, I remember one fun job was locking up the scripts at night. Martin Puris was paranoid for some reason that there were going to be moles, <laughs> you know, inside this tiny little office on Sixth Avenue that was rented just for that time, yeah. that somebody was going to take a script that was, by the way, worth stealing and giving it to the Clinton campaign. Um, so one of my jobs was to lock them in a safe at night. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. It was this, like huge closet devoted to nothing but scripts. You would literally take pieces of paper and lay them on a shelf and then walk away slowly and then lock it. Did you, at that time, did you, were you thinking like, I want to be in this business and this is the job I can get or? or Absolutely. Yeah. I remember like, you know, because real creatives would come in and present work and I'd sit in that conference room and, you know, take notes or I was really just soaking up that part of it. Again, what they were presenting was not exactly the kind of advertising we'd necessarily, you know, want to be soaking up. But uh, I saw some pretty great creators in the room. And those are the guys who at the time were doing BMW, you know, like Martin Pierce did the ultimate driving machine. And then it was the creative director, creative director working on that or the, the guy who just won the MasterCard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there were guys back then, like we don't do it now, but they were wearing Armani suits as creatives. And you're like, dude, wow. you know, like you guys are slick. And sweet, and it reminded me again of Tom Hanks in that. Uh, yeah, in that nothing yeah. in common. And where were you living when you were when you were working at this place? Jeez, I think my first place was uh, with uh, with my buddy from high school. We got a place in like Manor Haven, um, Port Washington. You know, I was commuting. Yeah, I thought that's what you did. Right. I mean, it like, didn't occur to me. Like, you know, I came from Long Island, so like, you go home, and then if you move out, you don't go into the city right away. That seems. Yeah. That yeah. seems ridiculous. People don't do that. That's funny. Um, so, like, you just get, like, a rental house, yeah. you know, in the town you grew up in, or yeah. right next to it, and then commute. Like, that was, to me, being an adult. Yeah. Did you, were you wearing a suit? I was wearing a suit. Yeah. I was wearing a suit every day. Yeah. Oh. Because, again, you know, I didn't have a defined role. I was just, you know, Rovner, go get it. Yeah. And when did you start to be like, oh, I got I to gotta put a book together? Or do, were, do, were you... Yeah, so... Um, it took a while. It took because, again, I didn't know what I was doing. After that, the first job I could get after that with whatever experience that gave me was complete zig. It had nothing to do with what I ended up doing, right? I became a healthcare PR account executive or account coordinator, whatever the right. entry level is, and not just PR, right? Like, you know, healthcare is a brilliant part of our business because, A, it's, uh, it keeps people employed and there's plenty of money in it. But it's not something that you know that you long to go do necessarily yeah. right and then you go let's add pr to that <laughs> so healthcare pr was basically you know calling up reporters and pitching drugs and their their virtues to them and hoping that they write stories about them but, you know back then it just didn't seem to matter 
It was like just a means, right. you know? Yeah. Just to hang out with your friends and make sure that you, you were getting on the train every day and putting a suit on meant that you weren't a fuck up. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and I still wasn't in advertising yet. So I didn't, I wasn't, yeah. you know, I hadn't actually seen it. Yeah. What, yeah. what changed? When did that change? What was the fateful day when, when Mike Rogan? So there was a, uh, a media planner that worked at the November company that was at this little boutique back then um, called Margiotis Fertitta and Partners. Yeah. Uh, if you remember that place, it was a great place at the time. And um, she was like, I think they're hiring, you know, young account people. You, you probably qualify for that. I was like, I think so. Yeah. You know, based on my two years of experience working, I could probably talk my way into that. And I did. I talked my way into um, being, you know, like a young account guy on uh, uh, Stolich and I Vodka. Uh, that was the gig. I remember the choice was like, you could work on the NFL or Stoli. And I was like, Jesus, those are both pretty cool. I'll go with the booze. You know what I mean? Like, I like football, but I don't know. It's something about a booze account. And back then, print was king. You know, there was yeah. no, uh, you know, print was still a thing. <laughs> and, uh, and booze owned print. And Margiotis was a great, a great print shop. Was the creative director Jeff Weiss, was he still there? He was literally there. I think I was there for maybe a month before it was his goodbye speech. Mm. You know, and I was like a kid in the back corner watching, you know, this guy give an emotional speech and, He's crying. Everybody else is crying. There's hugs going around. And, you know, I'm like, I don't get it. You know, like, well, I still, so I see it's a job. Yeah. You know, if I'd only been there one more month, I'd be like, Jeff. But I didn't really know the guy. Then. So anyway, that's, uh, yeah, I was there as an account guy, you know, and um, that's when I definitely got the bug because I saw that was a real agency, right? That was a real agency. It had real accounts. It was doing the kind of stuff that I dreamed about. Um, I remember when I got the job, they showed me a reel. It was like their agency reel. And I'd never seen something like that before. You know, it's basically just it's a sizzle reel. You know, it's just all their spots get up to like a track, yeah. you know? But I was sold. I was like, oh, you guys make all this shit. I get it now. That's what I want to do. And they're like, great, go back upstairs because you're an account guy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, God damn it. So I got in, but I didn't get in, you know? Yeah. So I was kind of motivated to, to learn everything I could. And fortunately, there were some really great, nice creatives that were there at the time that were nurturing and, you know, didn't mind an account guy who wanted to try to be a creative. Um, so I would take classes at night, you know, at SVA, which was, was available to me at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, who, you were know, those, who were the creatives that, that were so nice to you? Oh, well, you know, there's guys like Ken Sills and Doug Hill who... Um, they were, they were doing some kick-ass work back then, and, you know, they were kind of young guns. Um, Graham Turner was a creative director who came in. He was a big influence. And, you know, before that, his claim to fame was, and remember, this is the world of print back then, his claim to fame was being the writer half of uh, the Absolute campaign, of coming mm -hmm. up with, like, you know, the most iconic, probably, print campaign ever. To this yeah. day, I would argue, right? Yeah. Maybe Altoids, you could. Um, so uh, he was a great guy to have around and a uh, funny, nice, kind man who um, also didn't mind when, you know, I walked into his office and said, I want to be a copywriter. He was like, okay, what are you going to do about it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and there was, a, there was this kid in traffic, guy in traffic, Carl Mullaney, who wanted to be an art director, you know. So uh, I convinced him to take classes too. So the two of us were kind of taking classes separately and trying to put our books together we never had to put that first book together and go get a job because they just hired us there eventually. You oh, know? Wow. It's like a, a year team. later. 
So, you know, I never had that first experience of like, my book sold, you know, it was more like they couldn't say no to me after a year, you know? And while I was doing that, um, I would take any opportunity I could to take any advertising assignment that nobody else wanted to do, right? So I just do it at night, you know what I mean? Like there was one assignment, it was for um, Godiva. It was like Godiva newspaper ad. I remember the account person was like, look, it's one ad. Um, you know, I don't have anybody downstairs who could do it or wants to do it. It's tiny. It's just an announcement. You're announcing a new store. Okay. I just need one ad for every time they announce a new store anywhere in the country. I just need that ad. And I was like, why one ad? Why not do like a, you know, bespoke, if it's gonna be a newspaper ad, why not do one for every market? And she's like, all right, big mouth. Right. It was one of those. And I was like, God damn it. Yeah. So I made that my challenge. That was like one of those things I did at night because I wasn't allowed to do it during the day in my suit. They didn't like that. So I'd have to like wait until after hours, literally, you know, wait until like six o'clock and then start working on the Godiva ads and then try to write one for every time they opened up, you know, a new store. And fortunately it was pretty cool. They were opening them up constantly. You know, it'd be like Boston. I'm like, great. The Belgians are coming. The Belgians are coming. You know, shit like that. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's cool. That's awesome. So how did you know to do that? How did you know to like, what, what do you put that down to, to push it a little bit like that? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just uh, tenacity. You know, it's just that, that uh, I guess any one of us, right? Anybody who's still ticking in this business as a creative, one, at one point or probably many, many points, they've been told, don't do that. Or just do it. Just do this. I just asked you to do this. The brief is simple. Just do a simple ad that I can run anytime I need to. And I don't know. There's something in the back of your head Anybody who has that creative bug that goes, uh, it could be better. And so you got that, you were very lucky that you were able to to parlay uh, being an account person into being a creative. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't happen often, at least not that way. I mean, you know, anybody can do it by going, put your book together, right? And go, yeah. go get the job. But I think it was more of, um, you know, uh, again, being tenacious in an agency that allowed it. Yeah. And, and had, you know, nurturing people around at the time. It strikes me um, that maybe, maybe being an account person was the reason that you thought of that, like, business helping, like, let's do a different one in every market. Uh, you know, I'd love to say that, Tom. I'd love to be like, I was an account guy. I was never really, you know what I mean? In my heart, I never was. I was like the worst in my mind. I was like, I fucking hated it, right? <laughs> you know, I hated being that part of well, That's what motivated me so much was that, there were guys my age that were doing the other job and I had to work with them and I had to go sell their work right in another room. And I was, you know, it wasn't that I didn't think their work was great. In fact, I always thought their work was better than anything I could do. I was just like, I could probably do it too. And it just drove me nuts that, you know, that there was a possibility. So, you know, I was never really an account guy. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? That being said, I always use the excuse of like why I'm a big mouth in a room because, you know, well, I used to be an account guy. But, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm just a big mouth. That's why. I'm a big mouth. <laughs> used to be a big mouth. Yeah. Um, um, where did you go after, after, uh, after Margiotis? Well, I stayed there a long time. I mean, um, w- once they made me a creative, which uh, I became a creative when I was 27. So all you kids out there listening, it's never too late. Um, <laughs> I, it was actually, I was like 27 bordering on 28. My first spot I ever shot was when I was 28 years old, you know, so... Yeah, it was it was kind of late in the game, and I stayed there for another 
I don't know, seven, eight years. I, I was there a long time. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's where I, you know, learned the game. That's where I became a creative and, you know, went from a junior to a medium. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what is that, what is that stage of your career? What should that be about? Going Which from part? junior to a medium. Medium part. I mean, it was, I was, I was just learning how to supervise. Right. So for the first time, it wasn't just about doing it yourself. It was about helping others. And, uh, you know, um, being somewhat of a creative lead, not necessarily being creative director, but just not being the only one, right? Just being part of a team and being more senior part of that team it was just learning that, not being selfish, which, you know, it was a good thing for me not to be, I'm naturally selfish. I don't know about you, but I'm a naturally very selfish. So like, you know, it was like a very good learning experience. That part of your career is when you, you know, it's not just about you. Um, but then 9-11 hit. Uh, and then there were like five waves of layoffs. You know what I mean? I watched every one of my friends go. Um, and then finally it hit me. So again, you find yourself in a situation, you go, well, you know, what am I going to do yeah. next? Yeah. Freelance. They were cool though. Back then, you know, it was a different world. There were, there, the holding companies existed, but it wasn't the only thing. I mean, you remember, yeah. of course, you know, the, the, the Kirschenbaums and the Margios of the world, we fought for every account against each other, you know? Yeah. So it was, a, it was that kind of time where even though you were competitive, you still saw each other out at bars. And so um, I found myself, uh, you know, again, looking for what's the next move. But um, the cool part about Margiotis back then was that it was still very much a family, you know. And even though they, there was no home for me there, George Fatita said, look, um, until you find a place, why don't you come in every day and keep your office? You know, so for six months, that's what I did. Wow. Six months. Well, I, you know, I get a freelance gig here or there, but I do it out of there. And at least I had a place to go every day. You know, after six months, he was like, look, you got to get out of here. You know, and I was <laughs> like, I didn't even find anything. So he started picking up the phone and making some phone calls. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was really cool. And, you know, I, that just doesn't happen anymore. That yeah, just, no, that, that's pretty great. That is, uh, uh, what was George Fertitta like? Oh, man, he's a, he's a legend. He's <laughs> a ball of energy. Um, he was the business side. He was the business. He was the business. I mean, I know it said Margiotis first, but John Margiotis left very early on, and it was George. I mean, he built it from basically nothing to something and sold it, I think, twice. Oh, that's <laughs> to nice. MDC. Like, so sold a little bit and then sold all of it. That's great. That's yeah. great. Good for him. Good for him. Where, yeah. uh, what, what, uh, where did you go next after that? So then I, uh, I went to uh, this little place that went through a bunch of names, but it landed on Agency 212, and I ended up there for a long time. I was there for almost 10 years. And it was one of those places where, you know, we had a few tentpole accounts, nothing massive, Lowe's Hotels, um, Casio for a little while, you know, things like yeah. that, Yellowtail Wines, you know, um, but... We also uh, became kind of a tiny, tiny, I'm not, not even call it a holding company. It was like a co-op. Because we had this great office space, which now is where the Barbarian Group is, but then it was just our little place. Um, it was too big for us, so the owner, Bill Tucker, would bring in other agencies, and he would take a stake, right? It wasn't just rent. He would, like, you know, put a little money in, help yes. them out, give them some space. But he also, like, would open up the creative department, meaning me, and, like, whatever few other creatives we had around at the time. He'd go, yeah, you can use them, too. Oh, so wow. it was almost like you had the serious job, you know, like that, that, that phrase of like the stuff you do for the meal and stuff you do for the real, right? Well, like the stuff for the meal was the day-to-day, -day, Lowe's hotels and all that. And that was there every day. And 
you know, it was a very small department. So I was like, you know, a big fish in a small pond. Um, wasn't doing anything anybody noticed, but it was paying the bills. Then there was all these little agencies that would come in that go, I need this and I need that. And man, it was like, I was doing crazy crap, just like a spot every year that not necessarily anybody saw, but it satisfied me and it was dumb, you know, and I was like, I can keep doing this for a while. And it kept me there for a long time. Yeah. Probably well, to the detriment of my career, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but you, you just kept getting little, little bits of, of stuff made. Pockets and, of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Pockets of fun. Like, you know, uh, one agency came to us with, uh, they had National Cinemedia was their client. And National Cinemedia owned at the time half of like the movie theaters, you know, and they were selling their ad space. So that was the account was like a media driven account, right? How do you sell the ad space that they're selling? And they had this great idea already. They said, um, we're, we want to like make a contest where, you know, um, we ask creatives to create better cinema advertising, more like they do in Europe back then, where it was great. You know, we didn't have great cinema back then. It was terrible. Yeah. So that was the goal. It was like, if we attract, you know, the creatives to get into it, then maybe the cinema gets better, then people don't hate the ads, boom, 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 everybody's happy, right? Yeah. It's a great idea. So I said, great, so what are you gonna do about it? And they were like, well, we got, I can't even remember who it is. And I'm, I'm glad, because I don't want to insult whoever this organization is. But they were like, yeah, we're gonna partner with so-and-so, and we're gonna give them an award out for like the best original cinema idea. And I was like, uh, did you call the one club? <laughs> you know, or did you call anybody else to Cleo somebody? And they're like, okay. So they called, they did. And they called the one club and the one club was like, yeah, we're down. So they were into it. And they created this contest where it had to be an existing client is one of the rules, right? But you would write a, a spot, an original 60 second. And back then sixties were luxury, right? Mm -hmm. um, still are. Uh, and it was going to run uh, in cinema for free. You know, that was the, that's what that was part of the gift. But because it's part of the one club, they were going to award you a pencil. They were going to give you a gold pencil for winning this contest, which wow. I was like, I can't believe they agreed to that, but they did, right? Wow. I was like, well, that's money, right? That makes it legit. Yeah. Now it's something. Now, now we just need a really cool call to action. And that's why I thought it was going to be over. It was just kind of like, great, I helped out, right? Yeah. That was a great yeah. idea. Let's yeah. do this thing. And they're like, no, no, we got we to gotta actually advertise this thing. And that's when it was like, oh, that's fun. That's going to be fun. All I have to do is tell people they're going to win the one show pencil and get their work. I'm sorry. I forgot the part that Ridley Scott's company was going to produce it for free. Oh, yeah. wow. Ridley Scott was going to, yeah, they were going to produce it. Not necessarily Ridley, but, you know, RSA production sure. was going to do it, right? Sure. Um, and then it was going to run for free. So it was massive. It was going to be like, in my mind, the brief that we wrote in our heads was, you're going to be famous. Like overnight, you'll just be famous if yeah. you win them. Right. So that was basically the brief. And... Uh, we, we made, like, if you can think of every conceit about being famous, we thought of all of them. And then we just shot some stupid ads. And we got creative directors who were famous enough to agree to be in them, you know. And they were really for a tiny audience. It was just for you, you know what I mean? And I don't know if you even saw them because they were just, it was back then they were being, like, I think they were emailed, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And we sent out bobblehead dolls of Eric Silver as a call to entry. 500 I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So that was part of it, right? And it was really just reminding people that if you were able to pull this off, then you might actually achieve that kind of fame as, you know, Bob Barry, uh, Sally Hogshead, Luke Sullivan, all these people were, took part of it. You know? That's brilliant. So that that's knowing your audience really well. That's like, okay, what is this particular like tiny audience gonna like? <laughs> to be honest with you, it was also a way for you know how like you write spots and you're like, let me put Jay Z in it. 
Yeah, Let me put Jay Z in it because that would be fucking cool to meet Jay Z. Yeah. Right. I was writing spots because I wanted to, like, you know, I wanted to meet Bob Barry. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's why I was doing. I was, I was like that ad nerd going, like, this is going to be my way to meet these guys because remember where I was. You know what I mean? I had yeah. a good solid job. Megan was the one getting famous. You know, I was happy to just do my nine to five ad job and get these yeah. little assignments on the side. So this was my way, you know, to get a seat at the table. You yeah. know what I mean? That's so cool that you were able to take, because a lot of people might not see that uh, ad stuff on the side as a positive. Like they might be like, oh, extra work. He wants, he's like farming us out and it's good for Yeah, I just always had this thing in my gut that like I was meant to do more in our business than I was doing. You know, it was this, it was partial guilt of, you know, (laughs) of allowing myself to be that lazy, comfortable creative sitting in the job, you know what I mean? So uh, I'd never lost that hunger. Uh, thank God. You know, yeah, that uncomfortableness you know. is so so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you are now uh, a teacher at Ad House, and you're I teaching am. with your partner with your partner Soren. Right. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys get together? At what point? So yeah, so I so I survived the small, tiny, anonymous agency life for a long time, and then um, I had to get out of there. Uh, both, you know, it was mutual, but after a while, that agency was becoming nothing. It was just, you know, shrinking. And um, uh, I found this place. I had a lot of booze experience, if you remember. Booze. I chose yeah. booze early on. And yeah. there was this little agency out of North Carolina that had a New York office called BFG. And everybody's like, oh, you worked for Barton at Graph? I was like, no, no, no. Uh, BFG, communications. Um, but it was to basically be the creative director of the New York office for one account, one massive account, which was Campari America. It was all their booze brands. Wild Turkey, Sky Vodka. Like, yeah, I'm in. So I went there for a couple of years, which is really my transition out of being in that comfortable home, you know, and, and being, you know, uh, much more like a real creative director with a real client and, you know, handling the client more. It, it, we didn't produce anything. You know, it was a couple of years of just handling client and pitching decks all the time. But, you know, I had a great strategy partner. We had a blast. It was a great couple of years. But because of that, um, you know, I was out. I, I wasn't like in that nest anymore. And then I ended up at, uh, at um, BBDO and Organic first, and then BBDO working on AT&T. And that's when everything changed, you know, because um, I always knew that if I was just given those briefs, I would apply all the things I always apply, you know, whatever I, my craziness yeah. is, those kind of briefs. And uh, I finally got the at-bats, you know what I mean? I was finally working on things like AT&T and DirecTV and working with great creative directors and great productions, you know what I mean? Like the great directors, all those things. Um, but... I was also in the business already for 20 years. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I wasn't jaded. I wasn't acting like, you know, a kid who's getting, you know, like everything they ever wanted. Because <laughs> I was an old guy getting everything, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was introduced to uh, another teacher, by the way. Matt Cerulli was my partner there. He's a teacher at SVA. Um, and the two of us, uh, we had a good ride. We had a really good run for a year there. And we did some really fun stuff for at and and TV. And then after that, um, I went to McGarry to uh, run the Subway account with Soren Youngred. And oh, that's wow. what we met. He actually hired me to be his partner. Oh, wow. You had to interview yeah. to be his partner. That's, I had to interview to be his partner. Yeah. That must have been awkward. But he, no, it wasn't because he had this great beard. He grows a beard in the winter. Okay. And I usually have like a big, you know, big beard. Yeah. And as soon as I saw his big red beard and my red beard, they were friends first. Uh, what, what's your class going to be like? Um, you know what? It's going to be pretty traditional. I think that we both grew up in the same system. He went to SVA full-time and I went to that, as you know, few, few semesters at night 
Yeah. Um, but they still do it the same old way in a lot of ways that I think we've all learned, which is, you know, uh, give them a brief, throw the work up on the wall and just beat it up. I yeah. think that the different style that uh, Soren and I have been able to capture this thing together, I think, which is where we have, and I think he said this to you and he'll probably say it to you again on his A-list, mm-hmm. that um, we, we want to be the creative directors that we never had. Now, in my case, I had a few of them. You know, I mentioned a few of them. But mm-hmm. I, I get what he's saying. And, and m- now, more than ever, I think that we see there are no more nurturing creative directors. At least I, I, I find it to be rare. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to have a few of them. But once I've reached that level, you know, I don't see them alongside me necessarily. Not a lot, of, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm never going to name any names. But we just want to be the kind of uh, creative directors, like I said, that, you know, we wished we had all along. And uh, that motivates us. And, you know, a lot of creative directors are all about the work. We're certainly about the work. But first and foremost, it's about culture for us. You know, like you, you live with these people, even though it could be brief. It could be months. It could be a, a few years. But when you're doing it, I mean, there's nothing more intense, right? It's, a, it's one of those work things I imagine, like maybe being a litigator, you know, where you're in a room late and, you know, you're beating shit up and you're yelling at each other and then you're hugging each other. And then hopefully you did something great. And you won. Yeah. You know? So uh, right now you and Saren are, are freelancing out there and you're available, right? Yeah, we are. We, we, had, a, we had a really good one on Subway. I have to say that, you know, <laughs> there are two things. And, and again, I don't want to denigrate anybody, but like, just to be honest, when you, when you hear the word McGarry and you hear the account Subway, you don't necessarily go, you know, awards. It's not what you right. think, right? You know, yeah. both great, venerable brands, but there's a certain kind of, it had a certain reputation, let's say. Sure. Um, that being said, I found, and it's not like I'm not taking any credit whatsoever, and I can't, but I found that we walked into a fairly brave client at the time. I don't know. The plants were aligned. Um, and Subway and uh, the group that we had, the young talent we had, all the way up through the, the creative directors that we had on that account, were dedicated, hilarious, fun, friends. You know, everybody became fast friends. Yeah. And the work showed. And for a brief time... I will say that I think that the subway work was pretty damn good, you know, for a couple of years there. Uh, things happen, and uh, we are no longer there, as you know. But yeah. we ended up together, Soren and I, at uh, Vayner, where yeah. um, they, they uh, were happy to uh, let us help them out on the uh, Pepsi account for a few months as freelancers, which then turned into full-time gig running the account for a while. Um, but here we are in this oh, coronavirus era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, we are no longer in that position. Yeah. But it was another great, great ride and another great group of kids. Yeah. Great account. It's, uh, it's important to say, to say positive in, in these kind of times. And, and I like how you do it. I, I like it say, uh, it doesn't seem like bullshit positive, but I think, you see the, I think you see the silver lining. Well, I mean, we've all, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to still be doing this business, uh, be doing anything in this business, um, you know, you've seen a lot and you've probably been through these things. I mean, it's, I listen to the A-List podcast quite a bit and there are very few people on there who have had, um, you know, uh, because the A-List have had the rocky careers that 90% of the creatives out there have. And I think that's important to know is that while it's really, it's great to, uh, to look up to the heroes and they've had amazing stories, um, there are soldiers out there that, you know, that do the job day in, day out that don't necessarily get the briefs or the cracks at that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But doesn't mean they don't have that hunger or desire. And so much of this business is luck. I mean, you know, 
ideas have to be there, right? You have to have a brilliant idea, but you also have to have the opportunity and you have to have willing people. You have to have a brave client too. You know, anybody can do anything on their own. You can do anything, uh, you know, for your book. You can go do a uh, nonprofit, you know, come up with an idea, put something out in the world, make a thing, right? Mm -hmm. But when a big client like Subway or Pepsi is paying for it, to then get them to agree to do something that's brave requires bravery on their side of the table. I mean, you can do all the convincing in the world. If they don't say yes, right, nothing ever happens. So yeah. But also, you do have to do that convincing as well. You have to. You, you have absolutely to, have to do the convincing. You have to be, you a, have to sales, do the convincing, but be a salesman. You have to be a salesperson for yourself at all times, and that has you to do. start early. You do, but having sold and having not sold, right? I firmly believe that's not me anymore because I'm still doing the same shit in the room. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely that brilliant person who goes, "Fuck it, I, I agree. Let's go for it." Right? Yeah. Let's go for it. Or like the you know the words that you long to hear in our business. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it, but I, I only have $10,000. Yeah, right. Ten th fuck yeah. 10000 Are you kidding? <laughs> I can do a lot for 10000 bucks because I worked at a you know, small agency doing scrappy work on the side for yeah. years. No, that is, what you, that is what you realize is that you don't need uh, a lot to do. And I think what we're realizing now and what we will realize throughout this COVID uh, thing is that you don't need a lot of, uh, of, of equipment to make things like right now we're making this on a on a laptop uh on zoom yeah yeah um you don't need uh, a million you know, it doesn't need to be a big production no 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 i mean it, one of the other uh side gigs i had while i was still working there at that shop the co-op type place was um we had there's an agency called hostetter partners <clears throat> that does primarily live entertainment broadway shows off broadway shows whatever you know that type of stuff and that was a guy who was like hey do whatever you want you know what I mean? As long as the clients are happy, he didn't care. He was like, as long as they're happy, do whatever you want. And, you know, you find some brave clients on the other side of a table when they're selling a Broadway show, especially yeah. when the show is like Deep Throat the Musical. You know what I mean? True story. You know, I was like, I'm in. I'm in. I don't even care what the brief is. I'm in. I want it. Right. And they had no, I mean, not even no money. They didn't even want to do the advertising. They were just like, we don't need it. And we were like, we could still give you an ad, though. We could still yeah. give you one. Would you yeah. run it if we gave it to you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, we did. We, we went out, I think uh, back then it was a flip phone. Yeah. Uh, not flip phone, sorry, flip camera. Not a flip phone. The yeah. flip camera. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think I had that. And uh, a producer friend of mine, we went out on the street and we shot, I don't know, two or three images, like a hammer hammering a nail, you know, stuff like that, a drill going into something. And then I found a bunch of footage of like a train going into a tunnel. You can see where I'm going with this. Yeah. And basically it was all imagery that said sex without saying sex, because the show, even though it was called Deep Book Musical, was really about the trial. And it was about censorship, right? So, you know, even though it was fun and stupid, we were making a point of like, we'd love to show you the show, but we yeah. can't. So this yeah. is the best we can do. That was basically the message, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, showing sex, people, sex you know, sex. like an oil rig pumping up and down. <laughs> I do remember that as well. Um, and were you at Margiotis, when they did the, uh, for the children's uh, science museum with the little Spider-Man. That was before my time. It's brilliant. I know exactly I what you're talking remember, about. Because Jeff Weiss was my teacher, like, yeah. at, right out of FIT. He, Thanks like, grabbed you. us from the art director's club. And he's like, you got to see this. Come here, come here, come here. And we went into his office. And he just played us this video of, like, we shot this on the roof. And it was yeah. just 
a Pez dispenser uh, Spider-Man in somebody's hand, and it was yeah. them like mouthing the words, come to the Children's Science Museum. Yes. Yeah, and like, you know what, you probably wouldn't have written it any other way. Like, it's a children's museum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need a big production. It I, just, it. I remember Jeff talking about like, it, it's all from like, if it's not in the brand already, don't use it. You know, like, yeah. it's like, this is something you would find at the children's museum. So absolutely. That, no, that, that's a really good point. Uh, There's also something to, you know, if your idea is good enough, you can attract talent with it, you know? Yes. Like, you know, if you ever worked with Partnership for Drug-Free America, which I think is Partnership for Drug-Free Kids now, or I don't even know what they call themselves. Back to, yeah, it's, it's uh, the partnership now. Or the so. partnership, right? Yeah. But, you know, it, that was, it, A, it was like a, a cherry assignment because you had to go up in front of that creative review board of like these scariest creative directors on earth sitting around a conference room table and convince them to allow you to then go and produce a spot for free <laughs> and figure it out, right? right. And go like, listen, we'll run it, but you got to go bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, and I remember doing that, like, I, you know, we did it once and, um, you know, you have the idea sold and because you have that idea, you know, it's for a good cause and all that stuff. You can get anybody, yeah. you can get all the best talent in the world to, you know, to do stuff for you when you have a really great idea or a good cause. Yeah. So it's, it never has to be about the money. Yeah. It's true. Unless, you know, you need to explode some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to yeah. blow some stuff up. No, you yeah. know, I, I, we shot an engine out of a car for Quaker State once that required a little bit of money. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 So uh, how do people get in touch with you? Where do they go? What's the, what's the website? For, oh, for me personally is uh, rovnerwriter.com. That's R-O-V-N-E-R, writer.com. That's my, that's my ad website. I can't yeah. believe I didn't even plug my side gig product, yeah, what? Dr. Priestley's Busy gig. Water. I, yeah. You know, I saw your t-shirt uh, last time. My girlfriend actually pointed out, like, that, that t-shirt's cool. I want one of those. Oh, the, the Dr. Priestley's t-shirt? Yeah, so I, I need a Dr. Priestley's t-shirt. Oh, I'll get you one for sure. We have to print some more. Um, um, yeah, that's my side hustle. Company. I I made it. I made a seltzer. I made a seltzer company, with yeah. uh, with with a couple of partners. Um, yep, it's available on Amazon. Get it today. Doctor Priest. Zero calories. Mineral water. It's it's uh, sparkling water. It's basically yeah, flavored sparkling water. This guy I met you know through uh, school. You know, like another dad at school yeah. um, had this idea for a uh, a fizzy water based off of the man who invented carbonation in 1767, Joseph Priestley. Yeah. Like, that sounds good. I mean, that's a reason, I guess, for a brand, right? Yeah. And yeah. he trademarked it. And I was like, okay, all right. What else have you done with it? You know, he hadn't done much. So we kind of shook hands. And a few years later, we've got cans. We've got lots and lots and lots of cans to sell. <laughs> <laughs> they're at the warehouse. They're, they're a lot in the warehouse. And they're on Amazon. Like I said, you can get them on Amazon. But we're uh, looking for distribution. Anybody who's listening... Please, Doctor Priest. Doctor needs needs a, needs a truck. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, so good to talk to you, man. You too, man. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks again. Thanks for this. Uh, it's an honor. We will see you at your class. Yeah, starts. Uh, I think next week. It does Tuesday. I'm very excited. Yeah, that's right. Less than a week away. All right. <clears throat> well, thanks, Tom. Enjoy. Have a good day. I will. Thanks for being on. So that was my talk with Mike Rovner. Um, we, uh, we had that talk right before he started his class with Soren. Uh, it's now, uh, his class is roaring away and it's, it's going really well. And I'm hearing great things. And I hope he comes back for a fall class. I think he will. So you can take his class. 
and um, you can you can reach him at rovnerwriter.com. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can reach me at tomchrisman.net. And this has been The A-List, brought to you by Adhouse Advertising School. Sign up to get all the latest and greatest from the professors at Adhouse at adhousenyc.com. Uh, and we'll have some special stuff there. We're starting a newsletter. We're doing uh, some products that you might like. So, uh, so go over there, adhousenyc.com. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time. I'm going to work on another one right now.